Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art related. This is episode 106, Creativity and Burnt Cookies, recorded on August 24th, 2020. My name is Julie Faithan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Believe it or not, I'm still here. I know, and I'm going to start this out, actually, this podcast with a letter that was written for you from a woman named Lynn Powell, and this is what she says. She says, you never know when you see or hear something that may change your thinking and your life. My aha moment was during one of your podcasts with your mother when she said, you girls, you don't always have to be the one to take the burnt cookie. It struck me as such a perfect metaphor for always putting others ahead of self. And I realized that I've always done that, taken the last cookie, the smallest dessert, the one that fell and looks unappetizing, stayed home to look after the dinner while the rest went out to have fun before dinner, the driver during wine tasting, the one to apologize even when it was not my fault. Oh, yes, I could go on and on. There is no thanks for doing this. No one else cares or even notices. Now they just take it for granted and expect that it will be that way. I get less love and respect, not more. At 71, I finally realized my life is on the downside, and if I don't start putting myself, my needs, and my desires first, I will never get the chance to. I'm sure I will slip at times, but I am now starting to put myself first. I do not always, at the moment, never take the burnt cookie, but leave it for someone else, and whenever I start to forget, your mom's words come into my head, and I remember and smile. In my sketchbook, I have drawn a plate of cookies with one very burnt, and her saying, you don't always have to be the one to take the burnt cookie. It is a reminder to me, and it has become my new way of being. Please thank her for me. I do deserve that love and respect, certainly at my age, even if it is just me giving it. And even if no one else even notices, that burnt cookie will stay on the plate for others to have their turn at taking it. Much appreciation for those important words. Isn't that nice? That's a very nice letter, and it proves we have at least one listener. (laughs) It does. And I will also say uh, one of the things that I think is so nice about it is that this often feels like you and I speaking to each other and it's always nice when we get comments to feel like they're uh that the podcast is being heard but also that it's really resonating with people and sort of transforming the way that they think I think um one of the reasons I started this podcast and one of the reasons I continue to do it and one of the reasons that I love to listen to podcasts is because of those moments those aha moments those moments when something triggers something really uh, life-changing in you. And I don't think that's an overstatement. Um, So, okay, I have been on a major research uh, trek lately, shall you say, into uh, creativity, into the nature of creativity. So a little background here. I've booked a couple what I will call sort of corporate gigs lately. Uh, So, hey, if anybody out there has an office or a business that's interested in hiring me to come and um, do a training with your company, it can be anything from an icebreaker or to learning about how creativity and creative thinking works in your business or anything like that, I'm available. And I and I have experience now. Uh, but what I was going to say is, so I've been doing a little bit of research, reading everything from Harvard Business Review articles, you know, Inc. Magazine articles, stuff on the web, a couple different books that I've been looking through. And I am just brimming over with all of these thoughts about how creative thinking can change your life, which is a little bit like the burnt cookie metaphor, which is some very simple things that can change you. And I, I read... Uh, I read one thing today that was really exciting to me, which was a metaphor. I know you're a fan of a metaphor, mom. That's what the burnt cookie is after all, it's a metaphor. Which said, uh, if you wanna become a Marine, you don't sort of read a book or a manual or somebody's experience of being a Marine. 
and then turn around and say, ah, now I'm a Marine, right? You got to go to boot camp. You got to go slogging through it. You have to actually become a Marine. As they say, like it's a way of life. It's a way of thinking. And so if you want to be creative, you don't just read a book. You don't just look at a blog. You don't just listen to a podcast. You have to immerse yourself in the process of becoming a creative person, of being a person who thinks creatively, right? And so I think that for me is a huge mind-blowing moment there. And I just want to pick it apart for a second, which is to say, I think that there is this thing, which is you may have some cre- you may have some uh, ideas that are interesting and wacky and crazy, and so then you have a great imagination. But until you actually do them, make them, try them, exercise, that's when you really become creative right when it becomes outside of a thought and it really gets into like applying it experimenting with it trying it and so i think a lot of times the internet is so seductive and the i you know hear from a lot of people who what they like to do is they like to watch it they like to uh consume it they like to sort of do it you know like but they don't actually get down to the doing a lot of the times and so my big encouragement is if you want to be a Marine, my creative friend, actually this totally uh, dovetails into part of the reason I'm teaching this design boot camp is again, this idea of how important the doing is. Um, that there really is something about the doing, whether it's a hundred day project or whether it's like Lynn says about she's doing the not taking the burnt cookie. She's not thinking about it. She's not moaning about it, but she is actually doing the work of not taking that burnt cookie, which I really like. And she's using, you know, her art and her artwork to remind her about it. Anyway, so that's one big takeaway. I saw you writing notes, though, because I can see you on Skype. So what is it? What is it that you're thinking, Miss Obi-Wan Kenobi mom? I'm thinking that there's an important element of allowing yourself to make your own rules and guidelines. It's like if you have a recipe and you always feel like you have to exactly do what's in the recipe, your creativity will be limited. Or if, you, if you're dancing and you just feel like people are watching you and you have to only dance in a way you've seen other people dance, if you're always looking for permission and that other let other people set the parameters of what you can do then it's hard to be creative but it's interesting because if you think about our educational system it's always about do this this way in order to get the A and you're not really encouraged to do things differently and I'll just come back to your first grade experience where it said put it <laughs> There was a picture of a cow, and the instruction was, put an X over the cow. So you wrote the X above the cow in the picture. And the teacher marked it wrong because what she wanted was for you to put the X on top of the actual image of the cow. And I think that was an example of not encouraging any kind of creativity Well, it was also an example of like not understanding that the point of the question was, can you read the word cow and identify it by a picture? 
Right, but I'm just saying that the many times in the educational system that we have, only one answer is allowed, and yes. that really is in art classes that so, so many people have said, I never felt I was good at art, I was always told that I wasn't good at art, um, because realistic art was the main thing that was being encouraged. I just think if you have to find the rules from someone else, then you are already handing your creativity over to someone else. Yes, and in fact, I have two things to say, which is one, the actual definition of creativity is the ability to transcend traditional traditional ideas, rules, patterns, relationships, or the like, and to create meaningful new ideas, forms, methods, interpretations, etc., originality, progressiveness, or imagination. So this is literally, to be creative, you have to be pushing against what the expected path is. The second thing I have to say in response to what you said is actually my recommendation for this week which is there's a man named George Land and he has this creativity test. He actually, he was hired by NASA. So anyway, my recommendation is his TED Talk. Um, and he uh, was hired by NASA to develop a test that they could give to people to find out who was a creative thinker. And so they developed this cognitive test and it was really successful for NASA. So they decided to do a little more research and they decided to test kids. So they tested four to five year olds what percentage of four to five-year-olds do you think tested at what essentially was genius level in terms of creative thinking? 80, 85%. 98%. Then they tested kids. I a lot of them. It's a lot of them because you're not thinking, because the four to five, you're just beginning school age you're, and you're thinking ping pong, you know, sort of like all over the place, right? You're not thinking like point, 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 okay? So then they tested 10-year-olds. What percentage of them tested at that genius level? lower 30% quite a drop 15 year olds 13% 31 year olds 2% so in fact it not only does it prove that creativity is a skill and not a talent which I think that's a really important difference but it also teaches the idea that we basically are taught to lose our creativity. And one of the um, pictures that he shows during his TED Talk on one of the slides is he, t- he shows a picture of the brain. And he says, basically, your brain has two kinds of thinking. Your brain has a kind of thinking called divergent, which is like imagination, generating new possibilities, et cetera, right? And, and convergent, which is the kind of part of your brain you use, the type of thinking that's like making a judgment, making a decision, evaluating something, blah, blah, blah. So it's like gas and brakes. Now, the thing is, we are taught as we get older to use both of those at the same time right? You think of an idea, you're supposed to evaluate it before you open your mouth and say it. So essentially, you are using the gas and the brakes at the same time. What happens to your car when you use the gas and the brakes at the same time? You don't go nowhere. Yeah. So that's what's basically happening is you are losing your creativity because of this convergent part of your brain. And then he shows the different parts of your brain that light up when you're doing creative thinking versus when you're trying to get to the right answer. And he says basically for the future of humanity, for the future of the world, for the future of our country, for the future of innovation, we have to stop teaching people that there's one way, that there's a right way. You're diminishing the power of your brain. We need to open up 
to this idea. I mean, when corporations talk about creative thinking, and I think even when we talk about people who we would call like geniuses and stuff like that, one of the things that is so amazing about them is that we think that there's one answer or one way, and these are people who say no. There are more answers, there are other ways. And this goes, you know, directly into all that stuff about education, but it also goes into all the issues of can you can you think that way even if you don't feel that you're creative? And the answer is, of course you can. You just need to train yourself to go back to your five-year-old self, you know? Um, I also think that, like, one of the things that's so interesting is I looked up a bunch of synonyms for creativity. One synonym is genius, but another synonym is resourcefulness. So isn't that interesting? Because if I say to you, oh, that person's a genius, you think, well, this is just God-given and there's nothing I can do about it and let me bow down to them, they're so amazing. But if I know this person is resourceful, you think, oh, that feels like something that I could do, I could be resourceful too, because, you know what I mean, that feels like a skill, like a skill. And yet they're both the same thing. They're both synonyms of creativity. And so I think there, there just needs to be more of a sense, like, of A, the fact that creativity is obviously valuable and creative thinking is important and we should stop teaching it out of people, but B, also the realization that we, no matter how much it's been beaten out of us, we can retrain ourselves, but then uh, that, that you can do that, but just like the boot camp going back to being a Marine, you need to jump in and you need to live and wade through that water, you know? A lot of metaphors there. There's a I will lot of it. That it's not just, and sometimes you're doing the beating of yourself. Yes. Almost all the time they've proven that you're saying to yourself, it's, it's not that other people are shooting down your ideas. It's that you yourself are not raising your hand or saying, oh, that's dumb. Oh, that costs too much money. Oh, there's no way we could do that. Oh, forget about it. I mean, one of the things I think is so fascinating to me about science and like theoretical physics and stuff like that is these are people who are paid money to do imagination based on some ideas, right? What could this be? You hear a weird noise. Let's think of the 10,000 million things it could be and then use some science to narrow it down. But if you don't start with some big ideas, right, how we ever get there. I mean, when people talk about somebody who has vision, who's a leader, when people talk about any of those things, it's someone who I think is creative and who is thinking about things not as linear necessarily, but as possibility as round. I mean, one of the things that I read that I thought was so interesting is they said that people who are truly creative are both wise and naive. Huh. And that necessarily to be creative, you have to have a certain sense of naivete. And the reason for that is because um, if you're a person who's, who is negative or pessimistic or only sees the bad things, like it's very, very hard to think creatively because you're mired in negative outcomes. And to be a person who thinks creatively of lots of different things, you have to be a person who believes, right, in positive outcomes and that there's all these different things that could possibly be, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think 
we sometimes do label people who are a little bit Pollyanna-ish as naive. In fact, I believe you have called me naive. My brother has called me naive. Steve has called me naive. My father, when he was alive, called me naive. And it always used to drive me crazy. But now I have decided that it's okay. Personal attack, (laughs) Emily. But now I've decided it's okay because I've decided that when you were calling me naive, what you were saying is that even though I get kicked down by something, I get up again and I'm like, it's fine. You know, I get, I get, I get divorced and I still believe that there's a Prince Charming out there. And you know what? There was, you know, I get, you know, something goes wrong and it's okay because I get up again. I mean, this is the other thing that I think is so interesting. I read this whole long study that showed that. One of the things that you, and by the way, it's hilarious that they had to do a study because this is something I teach in my classes and I could have told you a million times. And in fact, I have told my students a million times. But anyway, the idea is like when you fail in art, you learn that it's normal, that you learn from it, that it makes your work better, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, And so it actually makes you less afraid of failure in other aspects of your life. And one of the things that I have consistently said is that the steps you take in making art, if you get braver in trying new things in art, you actually get braver in trying new things in your life. If you get, you know, knocked down in art and learn that you can come back from failure in the pages that you make, then you learn that you can do that in your life too. And this is one of the reasons there was a big, big thing several years ago where like the big solution to messing up a page in your art journal, not liking it was to gesso over it. And I just was like, no, no, because whatever was there is, is there. And it's sort of evidence. And I think you have two choices, which is either you flip the page and you move on, or you say, I can rescue this in some way. I can let some of that past show through. I can find a way to reinvent it. And I think that that's a very different strategy than just whiting it out as if it never happened, you know? So no one will ever see it. Yeah. Just rip it up and throw it away. Uh, But I think the thing is that I really do believe that what you make creatively is an extension of who you are and that what you do as a creative expression becomes part of who you are. And so then you are able to take different steps in your life because you've practiced in your art. And that starts, I mean, I'm really not like a la 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 you know, let's all hold hands, sing kumbaya, and feel the spirit of the art gods move us kind of person, but. Well, that does sound like an interesting. <laughs> I feel like I've been to that retreat and I didn't like it. Um, but what I would say is I I do fully 100% believe that I don't, I don't necessarily think it's only true with art. Like I would say, if you're a person who has a drug habit, and you manage to stop using drugs and do all the steps that it takes to do that, then you probably are able to take many other steps in your life to set up boundaries, to be confident about who you are, to look inside. I mean, like, I think anytime you take action in your life and you do something regularly, it necessarily changes, you know, the outside. Um, I'm going to tell you something yes. from my own life. That sounds very inconsequential. But, and, and I've told you this before, which is, I used to think that when people made requests, let's meet at such and such a time, or let's have a call at such and such a time, I had to do it. 
even though it was inconvenient for me. And then I started taking this aerobics class three days a week. So it was three days a week, one hour each of those days. And I decided that that time was going to be my sacred time, and I wasn't going to schedule anything in that time, even though I might feel guilty saying no, because after all, it's only my aerobics class. It shouldn't be a big deal. And each time I would say, oh, I can't do it then. Is there another time that would work? Uh, I didn't get a gigantic pushback. People just accepted that, and it enabled me not just to go to aerobics and become the fabulous, the healthy lean, person. The fighting machine that you are. It also enabled me to understand that I could set those boundaries and people will accept it. Well, this you know? goes directly back to your burnt cookie thing, which is you didn't always have to be the one changing your schedule for everyone else. And I would say that, you know, this reminds me a little bit even I, you know, I had, I've had, uh, I had someone reach out to me to say that they wanted to learn more about um, teaching online classes, right? And I said, okay, well, here are my rates for a private session, right? And I never heard back from them. And what I thought was interesting about that was people want things from you, but only at a price that they're willing to pay, you know? And I think that there there is something that feels really good about standing up for yourself and saying, listen, I've worked really hard to come up with these ideas and to do my research and to spend my hours figuring it out and to make all the mistakes so that I could do a streamline so that I could teach you everything I've learned in six years in three hours. But I'm not going to give that to you for $20, you know? And I think that that's an, that's a, uh, it's like, you know, I used to go to therapy. And when I went to therapy after my divorce, I was always shocked by the bill from the doctor because it's like, how could it be worth this? But but it is because what you're paying somebody for, right, is their expertise. But there's somebody out there who thinks that it's not worth it. And I always think like, there is this thing about valuing your time the same way that you would value somebody else's, right? So you're saying that- not just your time, it's the expertise that you've built up over the years. Yes, and I'm thinking about your aerobics thing, which is just saying like, you're valuing your time that you're spending on your you know, health and your mental sanity, because obviously you had two little children at the time, you know, and all that kind of stuff, you're valuing it and saying that it is worth something and that other people can't steal it from you. And I think that's that's true with any, you know, transaction, whatever it is. I mean, I have started now on some Zoom meetings, you know this, because there's one committee that we're on, where I just don't turn on my video because I feel like I don't want to be stuck staring at the screen, like, a you know, caught by it for an hour. I want to be able to doodle or draw or look away or walk around the room or whatever. I mean, I had this conversation actually with my stepmother who has a ton of Zoom meetings too. And I said, you know, one of the things that my father was always a huge proponent of was walking meetings. That meetings that are held like in a closed room and or even over a meal tend to have a certain flavor to them. But if you're outside and you walk 
You know what I mean? You're not staring directly at each other. There's something more casual about it. Your body is physically there. It makes the conversation easier. There's stuff to look at. There are things to comment on. Do you know what I mean? It's a much more comfortable way actually to have a conversation, even like an evaluation or a job performance conversation. And one of the things that is very hard about quarantine is the fact that every conversation seems to be like a, a captive thing. And it was funny because uh, one of my best friends, she um, was like, let's have a phone call, you know, and she's like, I'm happy to do it while you're taking care of the baby or while you're working or whatever. And I was like, oh, you so get me because I, it's not that I'm not paying attention to you, but I need to be doing something for my brain and my mind and stuff to work. I think that's part of the reason that art works for me because like my brain, well, my arm's going, my brain's working. When my arm's not going, my brain's not working. You're always doodling or something when you're on the phone. I know that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I feel like this is even like in college. I remember doing cross-stitching while I was in class or just like endless drawing. I listen better. And the most interesting thing to me is when I listen to a podcast or something while I'm drawing, I can look at that drawing and remember what was happening in the podcast. Or I think that's weird, but it's like that's the way my brain connects stuff is I know myself. I need to do something physical, do you know what I mean, in order to really be listening. Okay. That's good to know yourself. It is. And I mean, I think in a sort of larger way, if we sort of wrap this very large topic up into something slightly smaller and more bite sized, whether it's the burnt cookie and Lynn really figuring out that she had been taking it and needed to stop or whether it's some of the other issues about are you a person who is judging yourself and putting on the brakes when you should be pushing your creative thinking you know, or are you a person who's reading the books about creativity or art making, but not jumping in and going to boot camp? Whatever that is, you know, I hope that you will take this opportunity or this little shove to say it's important to really know yourself and to take action and to recognize where you're stuck and then to unstick yourself. I guess that's what I'd say. Do you have anything to add, mom? Well, stuck is an interesting way of thinking about things because that implies that creativity should be flowing at a certain speed all the time. And that if it isn't flowing, it's because you're stuck as opposed to you're regrouping, you're assessing, you're... I think you are having a very narrow definition of creativity then because I don't think creativity is the moment of a genius idea. I think creativity is the entire process of regrouping, of rethinking, of doing that stuff. I am rejecting the idea of being that my creativity is stuck or I am blocked. I think it's more like I you have to recognize that that those pauses, those roadblocks, those U-turns are, are part of the whole thing. And it doesn't mean you're not being creative then. Well, I will say this, which is, I think, A, you weren't really listening because you were texting with Matthew, which I can see you doing on Skype. And wow. B... <laughs> wow, outing me. I am. But I B, 
Because I didn't say that you're stuck creatively. What I said is that somewhere in the journey you haven't fully committed. Somewhere in the journey you are either reading about it and not doing it or you are, you know, a person who is just not yet trying your hardest, shall we say, jumping all the way in there. Because you're putting the blame, you're blaming me. Yeah. For this slow down and flow. I'm not blaming you for slow down and flow. I think we're thinking of two different things as stuck. You think, you think that you, you have this, I think we're talking about two different things because I don't think that stuck is a slow down in flow. Okay. Because I think that a slow down and flow is a natural thing of the creative process. What I'm talking about stuck is Stuck is you keep making the same work over and over. Stuck is you are don't feel like you're creative. Stuck is you're one of these people who likes to make things, but you know, but you're, you know, looking at all your stuff and it feels intimidating. Stuck is stuck is so many different things. I think that stuck is not a blame game thing, but I think what I'm trying to say is something that you've taught me since I was a kid, which is that you can unstick yourself in many situations by taking some action. And I think what I'm trying very hard to tell people is it's time to take some action. And I think we've used this metaphor before in the uh, movie Finding Forrester. I have always loved that one of the ways that he gets this kid writing, the older writer gets the kid writing, is he says, just start copying one of my stories and then soon you'll find that you'll be able to take over and the words will change to your own. But when you stare at a typewriter and don't do anything, you're stuck, right? And so this is the same thing, which is I don't care if people you know, need to start by copying something or by redoing something they've already done or by drawing nonsense marks. I watched a whole tutorial today that this woman put together on her artistic process and every single day she starts by just scribbling because she needs to just get it out of her to get warmed up. Just like if you exercise, you do a warm up. I think what I'm trying to say is don't be paralyzed. Take action. Do something, you know what I mean, to move yourself, to push yourself forward where you want to go. If And I will also say the following, which is there was a, so I started this whole series on YouTube I've been doing called Your Creativity Coach, where I give a little um, pep talk to people about creativity, some aspect of it. And one of the things, um, one of the great comments that I loved that I got on Instagram about it when I reposted it there is someone said, I don't want to practice And I'm fine with that. And I thought, yes, amen, that is totally fine. So I think this goes back to knowing yourself. I know that I need to move my body in order for my brain to work, right? So this person knows that they have no interest. Drawing is a skill, but they have no interest in practicing every day to get better. They're just having fun with what they're doing, and that's fine. And I say, rock on, sister. That's fantastic because it's all about knowing yourself and being happy with where you are. It's the same as like, I would like to lose the baby weight. But I would say to someone else who's carrying baby weight and happy with it, if you are happy with yourself, great, rock on. You know what I mean? Love yourself, be yourself, 
do whatever makes you happy. I'm not here to judge you. So I would say the same thing, which is if you feel stuck by definition, that means that you are unhappy with where you are and you want to push forward. If you don't feel stuck and you're happy with where you are, again, rock on with your bad self. That's awesome. But if you're stuck, take action. That's my message. Mom seems to feel otherwise. She thinks you should marinate in it and maybe relax. I just feel like don't automatically define stuff as a negative moment. It could become a positive moment. Right, but that's the same thing as failure, which is I don't think of failure as being a negative thing. And I also don't think that being stuck and taking action to get yourself unstuck is like a negative positive thing. I think it is just action and consequence, right? You get stuck, you take action to fix it. You fail, you take action, you know, to deal with the failure. I think when you fall down, you get up. It doesn't mean that the falling down is a huge negative. It is a consequence. The getting up is a consequence of the falling down. That's all that it is. I think it it really depends how you think about it. At my age, falling down isn't a negative, <laughs> just so you know. Well, let's talk about some of the ways that some of the physical things you do when you're feeling stuck. I know that one thing is you try a different art supply. I do. I definitely, I if I'm stuck one place, I try a totally different art supply. I clean, which interestingly enough is a physical act, right, to clean up. Um, I oftentimes will um, go physically away from whatever is bothering me. Like if if I have a problem with a quilt or something like that, maybe I'll go downstairs, play with the baby, you know what I mean? Find something else, walk around, etc. A lot of times also when I, and this is, I guess, also partially a personality thing. Um, and by the way, I hope that you will write to us or co- leave a comment and tell us about your feelings about the idea of stuck, whether it's a negative or a positive or whatever. But I think that uh, a lot of times I hate, and I truly mean it, I hate the feeling of being sort of trapped by a task I don't like or that I'm not happy with or that isn't working for me. And yet I know that sometimes you have to push through and not abandon ship. So in the moments when I don't feel like pushing through, I simply divert to something else. And like I said, it could be any of the million different activities. And then I come back. So actually, if you really think about it, I really only have one tactic for dealing with being stuck. I divert. And then I come back later. Okay. What do you do when you're stuck? I could say I'm never stuck, but I'm often stuck. One of the (laughs) things is uh, I also walk away when I can. Uh, I also push through. Um, I was reading an interesting, an intriguing article about what is boredom. And one of the answers was that it is the state of wanting to want something. That is to say, you don't, that you don't know what you want, but you wish you would know what you want, and that therefore 
you are bored. That's and interesting. I wonder, yeah, and I wonder, of course it is, I said it. And, if you, <laughs> and I wonder if there's an element of that in, quote unquote, being stuck in your, with your creativity, which is you want to know what, you're, what you can do. And so it's upsetting to you that you don't at this moment know. Yes, 100%. I am on board with you, and I would say the following, which is I think that let's go back to what is creativity. Creativity is creative thinking and believing that there's not just a single solution and being able to come at something from multiple different angles, right? And sometimes what you need in order to think creatively about a problem, which may be what is the next step in this painting, is you need distance, you need time, you need inf you know influx of new ideas. And I think when they talk about like, what are the ass what are the traits of a creative person you know curiosity certainly um but a lot of things they often talk about are things like somebody they're a really good networker and why is that important because that's about meeting people who have different ideas from different cultures because that will then influence you you know and the way that you think and the way and change some ideas that you have they often say that they're like serious observers they love to watch you know, people and uh, actions and stuff. And that's, again, because you're picking up ideas and stuff to happen. So if you're having trouble thinking about a problem, it makes sense to me that you would use some other stimulus. I hear from a lot of people who say they go for a walk every single day because that's the time that they do their creative thinking because out with nature, you know what I mean, is the moment when they're able to observe, to think about things, to process, to do whatever it is. And then when you come back, you have a fresh perspective you've gathered some sort of input. I mean, I think the thing that is so hard about this quarantine, one of the things that is so very difficult about all of us being at home is just the lack of input. The lack, I mean, as much internet and TV and blah, 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 that there is, I mean, thank God for the internet, there's just like serious sensory deprivation of overheard conversations and observed things and pretty shop windows and interesting compositions of color and light and people and you know the accidental conversation you have with a stranger and the you know i, I just i think those things that make us a society that make us like a human grouping so to speak or a village or whatever you want to call it those those things are so so missing from my life and i miss them i miss them great, creatively great. Hmm? the other day i the other day you and i went to a, an actual physical clothing store for the first time since probably january yeah easily or and even before then because the baby we had we even gone to a clothing store since the baby came so maybe so maybe November. And I felt the sensory wonderfulness of all those colors and different shapes and seeing other people and it just it just felt really good. So I think you're right about about the sensory deprivation. And uh, one of the things I worry about with your child and your brother's child is that they're growing up in a world in which everything's the same endlessly and constantly they live in the smallest world on earth they don't go to shopping malls they don't go to restaurants they don't go to parks they don't go to museums because we're protecting them but at the same time 
their worlds are much smaller than they would have been, and it makes me sad. Yeah, I agree. He has a doctor's appointment tomorrow, and, you know, I've talked to the doctor previously about it, and the doctor basically has said to me, like, there's nothing to do about it. You have to just get him outside as much as humanly possible. Because more than anything, just like that, the natural world, the outside, will at least give him a lot of what he's missing, because there'll be noise. There'll be temperatures, feelings, you know, other voices, humans, animals, things moving. Like, it'll change. And so that... I think is something that I'm conscious of even for my own stimulation because I I mean I can stay inside all day and be perfectly fine I've got art supplies but (laughs) you know it's important to get outside and to be stimulated I mean I have never the baby has forced me to slow down in a lot of ways some of which I'm resentful about but getting over and some of which I'm trying to embrace you know we sat on a blanket in the park for an hour and a half doing nothing but looking at our fingers and toes the leaves on the trees feeling the breeze you know what i mean listening to people talking you know who are far away and everything else and it was like when's the last time that i would ever do that and not be on my phone reading a book drawing something never 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 right just sitting there with myself i mean i love the baby but he's not a great conversationalist yet Gotta work on that. <laughs> We're trying. Our conversations are very one-sided. I ask a lot of questions. I don't get a lot of answers. Nine months old. What's the matter? I know, right? Um, anyway, we should probably wrap up. This has been a very interesting chit-chat, but I know you've got a recommendation. Oh, yes. So, it's actually somewhat relevant to our discussion of creativity. Again, it is from the New York Times, which you can see the stimulation that I've been getting. It is an article about, uh, I read this thing called Smarter Living. They send me a newsletter. So this is called, uh, wait a second, yeah, find it. I guess I'm not as prepared as I thought I was. Um, It's about play, adding play to your life. And actually, many of the things relate to creativity because uh, playing is part of, I think, what's involved in art making and all sorts of kinds of things that uh, where we don't have a result that we necessarily anticipate having. That... It allows you to do things just for the pleasure of doing them, doing them, without necessarily having some endpoint end product in sight, and that it's a really important part of letting yourself think in a different way, giving you an emotional release. Uh, I just think it's something that. I know I'm always thinking, what should I be doing? You know, I could be folding laundry. No, but I should let myself have this moment if if I want to just go outside and pick a flower, you know. So I think people may enjoy it. 
So 100%, I love that recommendation, and I would say it totally goes with um, there is uh, a, man, uh, a man named Clayton Christensen uh, who wrote about the innovator's DNA, and he wrote about five key behaviors that optimize your brain for discovery. One of them is experimenting, which is essentially what you're talking about, play, right? is what experimenting is is it's the it's taking some kind of like action just because you're curious right and so i think that that's a really important thing that everybody can do my recommendation which i already mentioned is george land's tedx talk um i will leave you with the quote that he ends his ted talk with which is by einstein who said that imagination is more important than knowledge something to think about um, okay, so as always, you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. We would love to hear from you, so please send us an email or leave us a comment. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can mention us on social media. You can tell your friend, your mom, your child, your grandchild, whoever you want about it. That helps other people find the show, which is always great for us. Um, I hope that you will join me uh, online for any of my online classes or a membership event. I always love to see people and talk to them. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.